This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, the podcast that introduces you to the rich world of storytellers who share their personal journeys, creative processes, and the stories behind their stories, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and I'm thrilled to be part of your writing journey. If you're an aspiring writer, a literary enthusiast, or simply someone who believes in the transformative power of words, you've come to the right place. Every week, we'll pop the cork on the world of successful storytellers and give you a healthy pour of inspiration, insight, and empowerment. My mission is to help writers like you realize your full potential through the transformative and therapeutic power of writing. Whether you're just starting your literary voyage or looking to refine your craft, I'm here to provide you with the knowledge inspiration, and encouragement you need to embark on your own storytelling adventure. So, are you ready to uncork your story and let your creativity flow? Uncorking a Story is about to begin. Sit back, relax, and let the transformative magic of storytelling whisk you away. Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Well, welcome back to another exciting episode of Uncorking a Story. I'm thrilled to have you here as we dive into the magical world of storytelling. I want to remind you to please follow Uncorking a Story on all socials, including Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You could also find us at Uncorking a Story on all of those platforms. And I'd love it in particular if you would prescri uh, prescribe. Yes, I'm prescribing you a, I'm giving you a prescription for more cowbell. No, I'm asking you to subscribe to Uncorking a Story on YouTube. And uh, that's for two reasons. Number one, it's a great place for me to interact with the audience. I love reading your comments. I love having a little back and forth. It really is one of the better platforms for engaging with the audience. But also, it helps me monetize the show. I'm going to be uh, upfront and straightforward about that. It does help me uh, put a little wind in the sails of my own pirate ship. So I do appreciate that. If you would please go onto YouTube and subscribe. Add Uncorking a Story on all those social media platforms. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review Uncorking a Story wherever you get your podcast if you haven't done so yet, because that really does help too. get more people, uh, getting more people exposed to Uncorking a Story. So, all right, in today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with the talented author, Lynn Galadner. Lynn is the author of eight books and thousands of articles, as well as a marketing entrepreneur, a writing coach, and the host of the Make Meaning podcast. She joined me today on Uncorking a Story to talk about her first novel, Woman of Valor. She's written a lot, nonfiction, but this is her first novel. Of course, it's not the first thing she's written. I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. Um, we did uh, talk about her writing journey. We talked about her career as a writer. We explored her early inspirations, the ups and downs of the writing process, and the invaluable lessons she learned along the way. From her childhood journals to her career in journalism and marketing, Lynn's passion for writing has been a constant thread in her life. I wanted to reflect for a moment, though, on one thing in particular that she mentioned, which is how the novel that she came on to promote, Woman of Valor, was not the first one she'd written. 
That's not all that uncommon. Sometimes those first manuscripts we write never will see the light of day, but that doesn't mean that they aren't valuable. We can learn so much from those efforts that are doing nothing but collecting dust somewhere in a desk drawer. I don't know if people really put manuscripts in a desk drawer anymore. Uh, they're probably in a hard drive somewhere. They're probably in the cloud, but they're in the cloud collecting dust, if that's even possible. I don't know. I'm not a physicist. Um, those manuscripts, though, prove a few things. Number one, they prove that we can start and finish a project, right? So that's, the, you know, they, they, that puts, I, I used the term wind in the sails before, but that gives us a little bit more confidence that we can sit down, start a writing process, and then finish a manuscript. It's a very important thing to try and do, and it, it helps you build some confidence. They also give you reps. You know, I like to think of writing as an exercise, something you should do every day. You go to the gym to get strong. You do your reps, right? You know, I remember at the cage of the University of Connecticut, my friend John Octoloni was going into the Marines. He used to make me work out with him. Now, I was a runner, I, I and, and, you know, I was terrible at cross-training. Uh, that That is an affliction that that I carry with me to today. Um, but he would have me in the weight room and we'd be doing reps. And his rule of thumb was 10 reps for every exercise, three sets of 10 reps. Bah! And, um, you know, th th that was the reps. But writing is like reps, too. They strengthen, you know, writing a manuscript, writing every day, whether it's a blog post or or whether it's just journaling. Those are the reps you need to strengthen your writing muscles. Um, those early manuscripts also teach us humility. Humility in terms of receiving feedback. And yes, sometimes they teach us what not to do, but make no mistake, they are valuable. Those manuscripts, those first tries you have that may never, ever, ever get published are extremely valuable. Don't ever consider the time you spent on them to be wasted. And remember, not selling manuscript is not something that is happening to you. It is something that is happening for you. That's my little woo-woo, woo-woo quote of the day. Not happening to you, it's happening for you, even if you don't believe it at the time. There's a reason why that manuscript hadn't gotten sold. And it taught you a lesson, likely, that you may not realize till years later. But look for that lesson at some point in time. Do me that favor. Look for that lesson. You may not believe it, but there's a lesson there. My goal is always to help you become a better writer, and that is your lesson for the day. All right, it is time to uncork Lynn's story. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Lynn Galadner. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you again for taking time out of your day. And I, I always ask the same question as we begin these conversations. Um, and that question is, where does your story as an author begin? So my mom says I was six years old when I started writing stories. And so we're going to go with that. Um, and I have a couple of journals behind my desk that are from my childhood and just reminds me who I've always been, um, writing poems, stories, skits, just to make sense of the world around me and be creative. And as I, you know, grew up, I really pursued that, you know, in high school, I was on the, the high school newspaper staff, but I also freelanced for the local newspaper um, in my town. And when I went to the University of Michigan, I wrote for the Michigan Daily, but I also freelanced for the Ann Arbor News. So my writing career really took a direction into journalism, um, which is how I spent the first 15 years of my professional career. Um, but all the while I was writing poems and stories and, um, you know, I did an MFA in creative writing in my 20s. 
And my master's thesis was a poetry manuscript, and it was published in time for graduation. So I had eight books published, six nonfiction, two poetry collections, um, while I was doing other things, being a journalist, working in marketing, you know, all of that. Um, And I would say that in the last five years, that's when I really said, well, I want to be author first and not just on the side. And so I strategically flipped things in my career so that I could do that. And that led to my first novel. So that's the short story, but it's a lot of years. (laughs) That's it's fantastic. I, I do want to go back in time to when you were six years old. Cause yeah. I'm curious what, what do you think drew you towards, you know, writing stories back then? I mean, I know m- many kids, the most kids, uh, I, I think about my own kids were very, very creative when they were much younger. And then as they grew up, that sort of, unfortunately that, that goes away sometimes. What was it about, you know, writing stories that, you know, meant something to you back when you were six? So I've always loved to read. Um, I've, I read from a very young age and, uh, you know, and I still love it. And right, reading is like, it's an escape from whatever normal life is into a whole other place, whether it's contemporary or fantasy or historical or whatever. Um, and so that was really fun for me. And I always wanted to be part of that world. And also writing from a very young age for me, was a few things. It was how I made sense of the world around me. So just try to figure it out. Um, how I figured out what I believed or thought about something, sort of like processing through writing. And it was also how I could give to others. You know, I remember, I think I was nine when um, a neighbor, uh, a neighbor child actually passed away. It was a horrible trauma. It was an accident. It wasn't an illness. And it was devastating. It was the first person I'd ever known who had died. And I went to the funeral, which um, in Jewish circles, a lot of you don't take kids to funerals, but I really wanted to go. And I um, and then we for seven days after we sit Shiva, people pay visits to the people who are mourning. And this was four houses down from me. And the, the boy was two years older than I was. And um, I went with my parents to visit his parents. And I um, remember feeling like just all the people there and all the questions and everything. I went home and I wrote like a newsletter. I don't even remember what was in the newsletter, but I wrote all these things because I thought that was how I could comfort his parents. And I took it back over there. And I don't know what was in it. I don't know what they thought of it, but it was the only thing I knew how to do to offer something that I thought could be of value and and help them in some way. And so it really has been the way that I've given to people or tried to help them as well. Yeah. I love that's a beautiful story and I thank you for sharing it. And and I, I you know it brings me to this place of, you know, where writing can be part of a healing process. Yeah. Um it it and yeah, you mentioned, I mean your words where it it's something that helps you make sense of the world. And I'm curious, is is that still a belief, you know, where that writing helps you make sense of the world? Did did that, you know, end in childhood or or does that still make some sense to you? It still makes a lot of sense and I still do it. So even though I'm focusing on writing novels, I also write creative nonfiction essays and they get published all over the place in literary journals and magazines and newspapers. And when there are some big catastrophic world events that I am trying to process, even as an adult in midlife, I will start to write because I want to just try to ask questions and try to find my answers for it. And so sometimes I've I've just whipped those off and then sent them to the local newspaper as an op-ed. And they get published because I'm asking important questions and I'm finding some answers for me. But if, if I'm asking questions, other people might be too. 
And so the way I think it through could be maybe a help for them or, you know, start a conversation. And so, yes, absolutely. That is exactly how I make sense of things today, too. Yeah, I love the notion of writing op-eds for the local newspaper. I think our local newspapers are so important to our to our communities. And I know so many of them are struggling. But that you know, that's something I've done a lot, too, is yeah. written, you know, just you know, come up with some kind of thought piece, sent it to, in my case, it's the Stanford Advocate. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it, there is something so cool also, and I, this is my ego talking about, you know, having like, like a physical newspaper and then seeing your name in print. Like, yeah. to me, that's... You know, that's that's a cool thing. Yeah. And, you know, I teach a lot of authors how to form their author brands and how to market themselves. And it's not just when you have a book. It's all the time. How should people know how to relate to you and what to expect from you? And so writing op-eds, you know, yes, I'm doing it to make sense of big events or my thoughts. But it also is a way that I can be a voice, a leadership voice, just like you said. And hopefully that's in keeping with my author brand. And so it can be strategic. It can also be emotional. Um, in Detroit, we still have two daily newspapers, the Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press. One is conservative, one is liberal. So depending on what I think about something, I'll go to one or the other, you know, depending on who the sympathetic audience is. Um, but but there's a lot of conversation. And, and the fact that we have two shows that we're constantly like going through topics and trying to figure out stances and and you you want to be part of that, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Let's uh, let's shift and talk about Woman of Valor. What can you share with us about uh, your piece of fiction? So it's the second novel I've written, but the first one to be published. Um, I started writing it in 2011. I wrote 60 pages and sort of stalled. Um, but I was busy raising kids and I have a marketing company and that was really keeping me busy. But I think the biggest thing was that I, I needed to develop more as a writer to write a full novel and understand where the story was going to go. And I'm really pleased with how it turned out. I came back to it 10 years later in 2021 and I um, read the 60 pages and I thought there was a nice nugget of a story, but I didn't really like how I had treated it back then. And so I, I just basically started from square one. And it's a book about a young woman who's in Chicago in her 20s and she stumbles upon the Orthodox community in Judaism. She was raised pretty much not any religion, although her mother was Jewish. So technically she was Jewish, but she really didn't know anything about it or have any identity. And she loved the community. And so she became Orthodox and she finds a great husband, has three kids, everything's groovy, everything's lovely. And she loves her life. And, um, and when she's been married about, you know, eight, 10 years, one of her kids is abused at his school and she and her husband are both devastated, but they respond differently based on what they think they should do in terms of action. And so that causes a rift in their marriage for the first time ever. At the same time, her ex-boyfriend shows up online and says, I never should have let you go, etc. So she's really pulled in all these directions and she has to ask herself questions about, you know, is this the community I thought it was? Is this the identity I wanted to, to really call my own? And what is she going to do? Um, so that's, I'm not going to do any spoilers here, but that's where we take it. And I, I, what I loved about this and what I was trying to do is I wanted to show a choice that is not the common choice. You know, most people in their 20s are not choo choosing to become religious in a, in a very strict community. And I wanted to show this as a valid choice and as something that she loved and found a lot of meaning in. But then when she was challenged, how could she reconcile that? And um, I will say, I spent 10 years as an Orthodox Jew. I'm not anymore. 
Um, I'm still Jewish and I love it, but I deliberately wanted to show a positive side of that community, even though I had chosen to leave it. Um, because I think there's enough negative stories about religion out there and I don't think I needed to add to it. And I wanted to show something different where there was joy in it and a positive choice and, and all that. So that's what Women of Valor is about. That's, that's fantastic. Um, you know, I love this notion of almost taking a countercultural narrative and putting it together because you're right. I mean, you hear most about people leaving religions yeah. or, you know, doing the spiritual, not religious thing, you know, and everyone's got their own path that they follow. Mm -hmm. But to to focus your time and energy on on a story that actually has somebody coming into a religion and, and you're right, you know, you're not talking about, you know, reform Judaism here. You're, you know, right. this, this is, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of do's and don'ts um, going on in the Orthodox community. Yes, that is absolutely true. I know from experience. And I will say that, I mean, this character, Sally, is more religious than I ever was. Um, even though I was Orthodox, there's lots of different um, ways to do it. And um, one thing I'm, re I'm really loving about the feedback from readers is that tons of people who aren't Jewish at all are loving the book and finding it fascinating and learning about a community that they've never experienced or might never experience. And that was my intention. You know, I was hoping, hoping that this didn't just have a Jewish audience, but that, um, you know, just like I'll read a book about a culture or a place that I've never been to or been part of, and I'm fascinated learning all about the culture and the rituals and the traditions and stuff. That's what I was hoping for from this book. And I think it's working. So, um, you know, maybe your listeners will have to tell me if it is. Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. It's a, it's a beautiful intent and a, and a great gift to the world. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned in terms of the genesis of this book, yeah. which was, you know, starting it 10 years ago, putting it down, you've got 60 pages. And then, you know, you in 2021, you go back to it, you see that there's a nugget there and you and you pick it up again. And I want to just reflect on um, or have you reflect on like what happened in those intervening 10 years? I know you mentioned you were you were raising kids, but but part of me also believes that stories come out when they're meant to come out. And, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it wasn't it just wasn't the right time for for this story to come out. But I'm curious as to what your take is on that. So um, I divorced my first husband in 2008 and I left orthodoxy at that time as well. And I started writing this in 2011. So I was um, newly remarried um, and I think I was probably still a little too close to all of those experiences. And so the first iteration of this book, you know, my main character was super whiny and complaining and lamenting her life. And I got to it in 2021. And so I think I put it down because I didn't know where to take it. But I also was like, oh, my God, this is way too familiar. And I that's not to say that I was whiny and complaining about my former life. I actually loved a lot of it. But um, but I just felt like th that's th that's a lot of the books that I was reading in 2021. I was far enough away from it that I had some distance and I can make a conscious decision about how I wanted my characters to be. And, um, you know, I, I kept some of the things from the Orthodox world, you know, some of the observances that I love. And I, I could have that that perspective about what was really special and um, and really create it from a fictitious place. So it wasn't anything any longer that was related to me. It was just a story I was making up out of thin air and doing research. And, um, you know, and really, I guess, starting with a blank canvas. And so I think that's how I could write it better in 2021. But I will say also, 
that writing Woman of Valor, I learned as an author to um, sharpen my storytelling skills. So I, I think it's, I, I think it's beautifully written, but I didn't plan it out. And so I was writing by the seat of my pants and that was really stressful. And I, I remember I had like the manuscript document open and then I had another document next to it where I was like trying to keep track of the names and the relationships and stuff. And I was like, this is no way to write a book. It's like, you know, sort of like taping it all together. So in the interim, I really dedicated myself to learning more strategic ways to plot out novels. So like my next novel is near, it's almost ready for publication. I just finished the last revision and now it's with a few readers. And um, I spent a full month plotting this novel, the second novel out before I even started writing. And I feel like it's just, it started at a much better place. So writing Woman of Valor and going through all of that really taught me how to be more successful writing a novel, which I didn't know in 2011. I frankly didn't even know it in 2021 either. And another thing you mentioned was that this was not the first novel you've written, but the first one that's been published. What's what's up with that first one? Was that was that a, a learning curve situation or what? What's so going on with that? in the year 2000, I, uh, I went to a coffee shop three mornings a week for nine months and I wrote a novel um, also by the seat of my pants. And um, it was an ambitious story. There were three main characters and um, I, I think it's decent i don't think it's very good but it's like fine and i wrote it um i was super excited thought it was like the best thing ever sent it to five writer friends and said you know what 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 can i do better and they sent a lot of critical feedback like a lot and i sort of hung my head and put the book in a in a drawer and left it there for five years and in um 2005 i took it back out did a whole revision sent it back to them saying now it's perfect and they said well not quite and so i put it back in the drawer and it's been there ever since. So I did consider after I finished Woman of Valor, should I go back to that one and work with it? Um, and I don't know, I could, but I also feel like um, there's just too much I think I would need to learn. So that book takes place. There's these three characters from the U.S. who end up moving to Israel and they're young women and I've never lived in Israel. And so I do feel like if I were to write that book and do it well, I would need to go and know street names and the culture and whatever. And that seemed really daunting. And so I think it's it's sort of still there. I'm not trashing it, but I don't know if it'll ever if it'll ever see the light of day. You know, so many of us, and I'd be curious as to your take on this as a writing coach, you know, coaching, you know, other other aspiring authors. You know, you you, you write that first novel or maybe even that second novel and Sometimes they go nowhere and sometimes they go nowhere for a good reason because, you know, you're still working it out. Yeah. Um, and uh, and, and yeah, maybe you'll, you'll go back to it later on. Um, you know, just like you, you went back to this one 10 years, 10 years after. But but sometimes like the, the the best thing that that those early manuscripts gave you was to learn what not to do. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, I will say that first novel definitely has some corniness to it. And now it's like a historical novel because it's like 23 years old. Um, so I don't even know if a lot of it rings true anymore. I mean, I guess I could write it as a historical novel, but that feels even harder to me. Like I love to read historical fiction, but I don't know that I'm an historical fiction writer. So yes, I think it was really um, brave to try to write a novel back then. And I'm so glad that I did it. And I, I feel really good about that. And if it never emerges as an actual book, I think that's okay too. And, you know, I, I guess I'm just, I've evolved since then and become a stronger writer, I hope. 
So I am curious when, when you are sitting down writing and you're sort of in the thick of it, do you feel as if the words come from you or that the words come through you? I think they come through me. I've had experiences with both of those first two novels and even with this third one um, that I plotted out so heavily that the characters basically took over and started saying, this is where the story needs to go, even with the plotting. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I would just make a note on my outline or my my plan for the book. This is where it went, you know? And so um, I think that it it definitely comes through me. Yeah, it's pretty magical. Yeah, I I, I love that notion. And I, I feel the same way. And sometimes when when I'm trying too hard at something, or if I'm just trying to force fit something where the words aren't coming, I know that I'm off somewhere. Yeah. Um, either I'm not in the right headspace or... Or it's just not, the story's just not working for some reason. But yeah. when the words do just, when you feel like you're in flow or in the zone, as athletes would say, then I think that's like almost a sign that whatever you're working on is is worthwhile. Or or it's like the universe telling you or showing you, yes. you know, that is something you should be pursuing. Absolutely. I, I always love it when I go back over what I've written and I'm like, when did I write that? You know, was that me? And it, it was like an out of body experience almost. It is like a channeling. And um, I think that's so cool. You know, and, and I'll tell you this. Uh, every time I I reread Woman of Valor, I would end up in tears like, oh, this is such a good book. And I felt like really happy about that. And so when I just um, read through this next book before I went through to do the final revision and I got to the end of it and I was like, again, I teared up a little and I'm like, what a great ending. Yay me. You know, like, so I love when, you know, yes, I wrote this, but it still surprises me. And it also inspires that emotional reaction. Then I must be doing something right. You know? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Cause if you're surprising yourself, that's almost a guarantee that you're going to surprise readers as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I have to ask what's, is there a backstory to the painting or the picture of the elephant over your right shoulder? Yes. So I went to India in 2014 with a client. I had a, a couple of years where I had a lot of yoga businesses that were clients. And so this yoga instructor took me um, to be a blogger and photographer on her retreat in India. And that is a beautiful handmade tapestry that I bought for like $50. And, um, framing it here in the States with that huge piece of glass was like $600 at the time. And the, this whole room has been designed around that, um, that tapestry. So it just reminds me of being on the Ganges and um, buying this from somebody who was a very talented artisan and probably should have made a lot more money on it. But um, yeah, it was a great experience, life-changing. Yeah. Or they can just get in the framing business, you know, one <laughs> or the other. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. Um, Tell me a little bit also about uh, your podcast, the Make Meaning Podcast. What's what's that all about? Yeah, so I started this in 2018, and um, it had its beginnings actually inspired by uh, my dad, who I was very close to, and he was diagnosed in um, 2017 with acute myeloid leukemia, which is a, fa a fatal blood cancer, and um, we didn't know if he'd make it to his 80th birthday, and. So I decided to do a podcast really focusing on how people find meaning and purpose in life and in work. And I started by interviewing him and it aired on his 80th birthday. And he was fortunately still with us. And we listened to the episode and just cried as we listened to it. Um, 
And then I just interviewed people that I, you know, wanted to do business with or whatever who inspired me. And on the one year anniversary, um, my dad was the guest again. He was still with us. And um, so that was a wonderful second conversation. Unfortunately, I lost him six months later. And um, the podcast has really evolved as my business and my work have evolved. So when I had different um, niches in marketing, I would feature people that I was looking to do business with and how they found meaning and purpose in their work and their lives. And since I made this pivot to really focus on my writing career fully as the priority, um, I only feature authors and people in publishing on the podcast now. So that's been a few years. And gosh, I have episodes lined up already through next July. And then I am going to give myself a little bit of a hiatus and do like 10 episode seasons after that. But it's really cool. And I get to read a lot of books um, because I'm interviewing the authors, which is really fun. Yeah, that, that sounds vaguely familiar to me. Um, that's how this show started. <laughs> Kindred spirits. I love it. No, I know. I just was interested in having curiosity conversations with people. And then it, it turned into something uh, something else. And I hear what you're saying about having shows lined up. It's, uh, it, um, you know, it's, I call it a labor of love. But I, I also feel like it's a master class in, you know, understanding, hey, if you want to become a better writer... Talk to other writers, and um, I'm always looking to improve my skill set. So, well, you know, I will um, tell you that you know, way back, if you want to go to the beginning of our conversation, when I was a kid and I was really curious, that's why I would write. I became a journalist because I was curious, and that's like a legitimate reason that you can be nosy and everything. And I just love interviewing people and finding out their stories. And it's still true in the podcast and in everything I'm writing now because I just want to talk to people and find out where they get their inspiration, how they do what they do, and like, like there's it's insatiable i always want to know and there's so many people that you can talk to so it's, it's a great platform for that yeah absolutely well i always like to wrap up with a couple of fun questions um around pop culture oh, no. and um, i i know i know but this is a, a little curveball here so um the first one is always what were some of your favorite tv shows as a kid oh my gosh as a kid I, can I say tw in my 20s? Because I don't remember what shows I loved as a kid. I know you, you could say your 20s. That's fine. Okay. I'm, fine. You know, I'm almost 50. So the, kind of your 20s is like being a kid. Too, so. <laughs> so I did really love Friends, even though I think it's a terrible show. But I, I could probably recite every single episode. I watched it way too much. Um, so I would say Friends. I do think if I want to go back to my childhood in the 70s, there was like a Saturday night lineup. So it was Dance Fever, and then The Muppets, and then we had Love Boat, and then Fantasy Island, which I think I always watched alone because my sister and brother were usually in bed and my parents were out and the whole house was scary because of Fantasy Island. So I just remember that. Um, but I will say I love TV and I actually learn a lot from my writing from watching TV and how they construct the stories. So yeah, that's that's my, how I unwind now. I mean, Love Boat is not a wrong answer. And not that there's any wrong answer to this question, but Love Boat, it was such a such a kitschy yeah. show. I mean, I and I, I still watch it. You know, it, if it's on um you know, Get TV or whatever is the, the sort of the retro channel is yeah. that plays Columbo, they also have Love Boat. And yeah. um man, I just love Love and Fantasy Island too. I mean, that was with Mr. Work, but you know, they rebooted Fantasy Island. A couple of years ago, and the new one's actually pretty good too. Is it um, okay? Yes, yeah, I'll very check good. It out. It's Mr. Roar's, uh, Mr. Rourke's niece has oh. taken over the islands. Yes, I'm going to check it out. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. What about music? What did you like listening to when you were younger? 
I was all about um, 80s pop. And I had a, a coworker when I was in my first job who said, you don't like anything until it goes platinum. And he was probably right. I was not like an early adopter. But I loved things like Depeche Mode. And um, I'm trying to think what some of the names are. I can hear them all. And I still will play 80s playlists, the pop playlists. Um, especially when we have family game nights and my kids just roll their eyes and say, sure, mom, you can put on the eighties, but they don't love it, but I do. So that music is just the best. I, I agree. I love eighties music. Um, eighties on eight on yeah. Sirius XM is a yeah. go-to. I also love seventies on seven because yeah. for some reason, I, I mean, I grew up loving heavy metal music, you know, oh, yeah. Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Anthrax. Now I find myself listening to like 70s soft pop, you know, in the car. And I'm like, what the hell has happened to me? I I don't know. I don't even know who I am anymore. Like I look at myself and I'm like, what has happened to you? Like you're listening to like Rupert Holmes and, and you, and I don't know more than just the pina colada song. You yeah. know, he's, he's got more. He's also actually a, a very accomplished mystery writer. That's um, hilarious. Well, you know, there was a radio station in Detroit and when I was growing up called WNIC Detroit's nicest rock. And that was like my mom's favorite. And I think I've, like you, I've become her. And But I thought it was the dorkiest thing ever when I was a kid and that was on in the car. And I'm like, come on, you know, but, uh, but now, yeah, that's my go-to. So, you know, we're in the nice, nice rock era, I guess. That's right. Nice rock. And uh, what have you learned about yourself kind of writing, uh, writing this piece of fiction, kind of coming back to it after 10 years? What are some big insights you've had into yourself after going through this process? Um, well, I've learned that I actually can be patient. I'm usually not. And it's nice to know that I can I can do that in my old age. Um, I also I just I really do like my writing style and I've come to accept it. And um, and I like to pay attention at the sentence level so that it's really beautiful writing and not just a functional story that where things happen. So um, that's where the patience comes in, is that I am willing to go back to it again and again to make it um, exactly, you know, the story that I want it to be with the, the word choice, the verb choice. Um, I get down and dirty in those details and, and it just becomes a better book because of it. So um, I think being patient is really um, one thing. But I will also say I, I feel so great that I can write a book and I do them pretty fast, you know, so I may spend more time in the revision, which is typical because writing is 80% revision. But um I, you know, I, my plan is to do a book a year for the rest of my life, and I'm I'm hitting that goal, and that's pretty cool. That's a great goal. I love it. I love it. And uh, last up, if you could write a letter to your younger self and and have the younger Lynn read it, um, what would you tell your younger self? What kind of words of advice would you would you bestow upon your younger self? I might tell her to try to start out as an author and believe that she could have an author career instead of trying to find ways to get paid to write and then writing creatively on the side. Um, at, you know, and I look back and I've thought about this a lot. It's a great question. Um, but I wish I'd had the courage to do it. You know, there are all those voices that, you know, oh, you can't make a living at it. You can't earn any money, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I didn't even try. And I just wonder what would have happened if I had tried. I might have taken the same path or I might be 12 books in by now and who knows. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Lynn, I am curious to know, where can people learn more about you? Do you have a website? Do you have any social media that you can share with the uh, audience of Uncorking a Story? Of course. So lynngladner.com is my writer website. 
check me out there. Um, I also am everywhere, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or X. Um, and I'm, you know, you can find me. I'd love to hear from people. Listen to the Make Meeting podcast. It's on all podcast platforms. And there's also a website, makemeeting.org. But um, go to lynngalader.com and you'll find all the things. Oh, and also uh, my Substack. I write a weekly Substack about writing and publishing. It's every Monday and I um, make it free, although I love paid subscribers who get book giveaways uh, for paying. So um, read that too. All right. So the author, of course, is Lynn Galadner, and the book is Woman of Valor. Lynn, thank you so much for stopping by, uncorking a story, and letting me uncork yours. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.